Yeah, yeah, it was pretty good, but it was overpriced. I don't know. It, I'll go. I go to it every eighteen months because I I don't know any better. They have good uh, mojitos. If you like mojito, I don't like mojitos. I like taquitos. That's it's a different Not in my mojito. Though. That's a different restaurant. You wouldn't want that. We're live. Welcome to What Are Your Rights podcast with attorneys George Derrick and Bob Mortland. Good evening. Good afternoon. Good night. Good morning. Uh, depending on what time you're listening, what time you're tuning in. Today we're going to talk Why about... Why would anyone listen to us in the morning? Because it's fun. It's a great way to get your morning started. It's a great way to be positive. I think it's better than coffee. Day. They say if you eat an apple in the morning, it's, it wakes you up easier than a, than a cup of coffee. But I think if you listen to us before eating the apple... We give you a jolt of energy. You'll be wide awake. Yep. You're ready to go. You get some pep in that step. Every morning, turn us on, listen... And today the topic is... Turn on the podcast and listen. D- don't turn us on. Eyes. Today the topic is DUIs. DUIs! We don't want to talk about very much of a DUI. We, we just want to explain how it happens. We're not what doing the ins and outs. We don't want to go too complex. We're not talking about plea bargaining today. And we don't really want to take the time to explain all the case law behind the oh, DUI. Oh, wow. Couldn't do that. And explain all of our cases and everything like that. We just want to run through how how could you get a DUI? I, how could anyone Bob, Bob, end up in that situation? I want you to know. What do you want me to know? You could never bore me talking about DUIs. You're in a safe place. I appreciate your intelligence and wisdom. And I say, let's just talk about DUIs today. The thank whole you, process. You, I'm really happy that you've extended your hands out to me. And I'm extending a, a dove... <laughs> An olive leaf, an olive branch. I want the whole branch, not just the leaf. I'm going to give you the tree, Bob. I want an olive tree. Plant it. Interesting thing about olive trees: you can water them for three years. You don't have to water them ever again. Never. You get lots of oil from it. Olive oil. Oh, I thought you were thinking motor oil. That's right. Okay, back on topic because we don't go off tangents on this podcast. Never. We're going to take you through the entire process of a DUI, what which is, is uh, the process code section 23152A and B. What are your rights? And What are my rights? The first way that someone can get a DUI is they've got to be drinking or doing drugs. Typically, it's, it's drinking. Typically, it's drinking. It's called in DUI driving under the influence. Usually, it's drinking. Sometimes, it's drugs. But I think we're going to be talking about drinking today because that's... Uh, that's the vast majority of DUI cases. Am I right, Bob? Yeah. No, I know I'm right. You don't have to say yes. I know I'm right. Go uh, on. Gosh, I'd like to say no, but I, I don't <laughs> have anything to refute what you're saying. So, unfortunately, you're right, George. Uh, Irrefutable. So, usually what happens is you're drinking, you're out, you're with friends, and sometimes it gets a little carried away and you have a few too many drinks, and at that point, you decide, well, I've got to get home, and... You can take a cab. You can take a bus. You, you should can take, take a, a train. Cab. You can you take should take a helicopter if, call if you can. Someone. We encourage you don't, to take you, a cab. Wait, or call someone. Hang on. If you take a helicopter, don't fly it. Don't because fly the FAA one. looks down on that. Hmm. They don't look up on that. They don't think that's a. Good oh, thing. <laughs> I saw what you did just there. The helicopter's in the sky. Good wow. one. That was ridiculous. So you end up driving, and basically, yeah, after you ingest some type of. Alcohol or drug, which will uh, affect your motor skills and your well, brain skills. Your brain, brain Don't skills. ask me to... You know, my wife's a, a I psychologist. I want to hear more about brain skills from you today. <laughs> You're going to hear everything about my brain skills. 
And so be amazed. In order to get a DUI, you have to drive. Let's go. You have to move a motor vehicle somewhere. Yeah. You have to have physical control of that vehicle. If you don't, then it's going to be an incredibly difficult case for the district attorney to prove. And give me a call. I'd love to take that to trial if the police don't see you. Or give me a call. However. Both of us. Driving can be proved by circumstantial evidence. Right. So when the police pull up to you to do a welfare check after you've broken down because you were drinking or, or whatever happened, be careful what you say to the police. Hang on. Someone's calling me. If I'm going to ignore it. If you don't want <laughs> Ignored. That's fantastic. <laughs> we, we need more things to interrupt this show. Uh, if If they don't see you driving and you don't say that you were driving, the case against you is very weak. But a lot of times they can prove it by circumstantial evidence. You'll, the officer will come up to you, and he's trained. He knows what to ask. He's going to ask you, how'd you get here? So you driving? Officer, you're in the middle of nowhere. You're the, you're the only one in the car. You're sitting in the driver's seat. The car is on and idling. The first thing the police officer is going to ask you is, were you driving this vehicle? And they look around for passengers. If you don't have any passengers, it's going to be tough for you. Uh, I do have clients that come from time to time and say, oh, I had a passenger, but they they took off running, and, and yeah. no one saw them, and they don't know who the passenger is anymore. It was a ghost. Those are those are tough cases to win. Unless you, the jury believes in ghosts. Now, most of the time, I, I don't know a percentage. I would say somewhere around 90%, but I'm making that number up. Most nope. of the time, the officer no, 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 no. Wait a second. sees you driving. 90% is an actual number, so you didn't make that up. Well, I'm not making the number up, but I'm, I'm making You're making the statistic, the statistic up. up. Oh, okay. I was going to say 90% exists. Yes, yes. I'm not a statistician, but uh, I'm making up statistics Statistician? Esca. What is it? What is it? S- statistician? Is that what it's called? I don't know. It's called something that I don't know about. Yeah. What well, we do know about is DUIs. And, and we know that the officer has to see you driving or prove that you were driving in some manner. And... What the officer is going to do is he's going to pull you over, get on his loudspeaker, tell you get off the freeway or whomever's driving, get off the freeway. And if it's during certain hours, the officer knows and they're on the lookout for DUIs. Oh, are they ever? They, they, especially the CHP. CHP are usually the officers that pull people over for DUIs. And consequently, what will happen is if you, let's say you're arrested or you're, excuse me, you're pulled over by a city police officer or deputy sheriff, a lot of the times I've seen deputy sheriffs actually call in the CHP, the local CHP officer, to um, investigate the case. Yeah. And so there's an initial investigation. When they first walk up to your window, they have that on their mind. They think, okay, this might be a DUI investigation. Let's look for signs of intoxication. So they're going to look to see whether or not your speech is slurred, if you have red, watery, bloodshot eyes. If you, if you have an unsteady like gait, that's when you get out of the car. Smelling like alcohol is an interesting thing you brought up, Bob. If you smell like alcohol, that's an indicator that you may have drank alcohol. Is you it? know that? Yeah. Huh. I, I would... I Learn would. something new every time you listen to this podcast. I had no idea. Yep. And... Many times, the first thing that the officer is going to do is put his finger in your eyes and wave it back and forth and tell you... Not in your eyes. Fall, fall in the wall. <laughs> well, it's not. Officer, <laughs> oh, sure. it's going to be three stooges. 
You're, you're making it sound ridiculous. <laughs> no, he's going to put his finger up to your face. He's going to wave it back and forth and ask you to follow it. What he's follow gauging the there is whether or not you have horizontal gaze nystagmus. That's if your eyes, uh, when they go back and forth, if they're choppy or if it's a smooth. What will happen is if the police officer sees that your eyes are choppy as they're moving back and forth. It has a, something called lack of smooth pursuit, which is one indicator of intoxication. It's also an indicator of about two dozen other ailments, which we're not going to get into today. But it's just one. Could be hereditary too. Could be hereditary. Could could have an inner ear infection. Could have a concussion. Could, there's so many things. But when a CHP is doing the test, the first and only thing to think about is lack of smooth pursuit, which is uh, it's part of a field sobriety test. Well, th- that's one of the ways they can start the field sobriety test is to see. First, they're going to do the investigation. <laughs> they're going to check whether or not you smell like alcohol, whether they think you've been drinking. They have to establish reasonable cause in order to pull you out of the vehicle. And they're going to ask you questions. Field they're going to say, were you drinking? Or when's the last time you were drinking? Or why do you smell like alcohol? Or my favorite is, why did you just throw up on my shoes when you got out of the car? That happened a couple times <laughs> in one of my cases. Wow. Interesting cases. She was drunk. There. She was drunk and she puked on a cop's uh, Yeah, she shoes. didn't have the stomach flu. I tried to say, well, you're pregnant. I asked her, you know, she said, no, nah, I was just hammered. Hmm. It was a good defense. Yeah, it happens. And so the officer is going to pull you out in order to do a series of field sobriety tests. There are a number of different field sobriety tests. Bob, what are they? Go. Oh, well, there's the Romberg. There's the step and turn. There's the... The Romberg balance nose, test. That's right. Horizontal gaze nystagmus. There's a the main ones they do. There, there are three main field sobriety tests they do. It's the walk and turn. You walk certain, you walk like ten paces in a single line, then walk back. Heel to toe. Heel to toe. Then there's the horizontal gaze nystagmus. Mm-hmm. Then, the well, then there's, there's the, so many. the finger to nose. There's a plenty there's a finger of to nose. tests that they can use, and they can Con- modify them based on the location yeah. you're at. Contrary to popular belief. CHP, actually all police agencies, at least that I've seen, have never asked someone to recite the alphabet backwards. You see that? I've seen that in like pop culture. I've seen it where they had to write it, but they write the alphabet out frontwards. They just had to write the alphabet. They they often do a test where they make you close your eyes and count to 30. Yeah, estimate 30 seconds. I had a client, she estimated 29 seconds. You know what they put in the police report? Failed. Failed. You know why? <laughs> subjective test. It's a subjective test. And let me tell you something. You're wondering, hey, George, Bob, listening to your podcast, what are my rights? What are your rights when it comes to field sobriety tests? Well, I will tell you. Don't take them. You are not, you are not bound by law to submit to field sobriety tests. What that means is if a police officer asks you to get out and perform some tests, you can legally say, no, I do not Submit to field sobriety tests. However, you are bound by California state law to submit to a chemical test. What's that mean, Bob? What are a chemical What are a chemical tests they use? The two main types of chemical tests are a blood test and a breath test. Those are the tests you have to do. Um, not the PAS test. The PAS test is a preliminary, preliminary alcohol screening test, which is the handheld device. That's in every police car. What they'll do is they'll bring it out and say, we want you to blow into this. All that is good for is detecting the presence of alcohol. That can that will not show up in court of law. The past test is never admitted. It's not scientifically, doesn't meet the Dalbert standard, right? We're not going to get into that. But the scientific standard for admitting yeah, reliable. But 
you can submit to a blood, breath, or urine. And I always, I always say, submit to a blood test. I don't always say Really? That. Why not? Because it depends whether or not your blood alcohol level's rising or it's going down. Yeah, we probably shouldn't get so much into the rising. I mean, that'll definitely be in the plea bargaining issue, or maybe even we could devote a whole podcast to the rising blood alcohol defense. But if we're just giving advice to everyday citizens, a blood test is typically better than a urine test or a, any other test that you're involved because, in. Because you can have a retest. You breath. can't retest breath. You can retest blood and urine. And blood... I just prefer that it, that it be uh, a blood test. Well, the breath is gone. Once you blow into That's done. the breath test, it's gone. You can never you get it back. Test that breath. That Every you breath you take. We're about to get... <laughs> we're about to get... Every, Every move you make. About to get sexy here. They'll be watching you. But we can't take your breath back. Take your breath away. Another really good reason why I have people do blood tests is usually because the blood... The... <laughs> Amount of alcohol in your bloodstream is going down because you're not drinking anymore. Um, but once you've gone through that part, you've been pulled over, the officer thinks you're under the influence, yeah. you've submitted to some sort of chemical test, then you're looking at a potential arrest. Right. And keep in mind, let me. we need to footnote this. Everything you do, everything you say, the way you get out of the car, the every time a police officer asks you a question, if you're being detained possible investigation for a DUI, everything you say will be used against you. If you're slurring your speech, if you're not understanding their questions, if they ask you to get out of the car and you hand them your bottle of beer, that's going to... And note, note where the officers take you. Most of the time they take you to the front of their patrol vehicle in order to do the field sobriety right. tests. That's usually because it's well lighted. They have their lights on. And they have a video of it. Yeah, see, but a, lo- a lot of police agencies don't have <clears throat> videos in their... CHP does on most of their do vehicles. Do they? The a lot of bars. city police agencies, uh, their unions lobby against it. And we're not going to talk about why because it gets a little too political. I'd but, like to talk about it. Not right now, but I want you know to do? some you know time to bring do? a civil rights attorney in here and discuss why in the world you, you know, wouldn't want to record that. We have three civil rights attorneys that emailed me after our first podcast went platinum, and they all wanted double to come platinum. in. It didn't, go, it didn't go double platinum. I don't want to. I, I, I do certainly do not want to misrepresent us, but it did go platinum, and I, I, we have to choose between the three. So later on, we'll talk about that. But I think we should bring all three in just over time, though, because this this podcast. I, is you know what? Be oh wait, I have an while. idea. Let's bring all three in. Let's bring them all in. I'll bring a mace. And make them argue. You, no, other. you bring a sword, and then maybe someone brings like a bow staff. We have them fight to the death, and whoever survives, we'll interview them. Are you drunk? The next thing we have is the arrest. So I'm not drunk. The arrest and the booking. I'm, I'm I high, wanted to tie it back to yeah, DUI. I'm high on life, Bob. So uh, an arrest and a booking is, is something that happens together if you're suspected of driving while under the influence. This does not mean that you're guilty. It just means that the police officer believes he has enough probable cause to believe that you did drive while under the influence. And probable cause just means they, they have a reasonable belief that they think you broke the law. So they're going to arrest you. They're going to get all your information, which, call, which is called booking. And then uh, you're either going to have to bail out or they'll cite you at the jail and say you need to show up to court in this state. Most first offense DUI cases, they OR or give you a notice to appear while you're in jail. They make you sit overnight. They, they punish you. They make you sit in the cold cells with no blankets and 
25 other people in the same room. Um, but they, they let you go that next morning. They don't, they're not trying to hold you for, for weeks on most first offense DUIs. However, there could be a situation where you're locked up for a good amount of time on just a DUI. So after you're released from custody, it's a good idea to start looking for an attorney. The reason why you want to start looking right away is because you have 10 days to save your license. 10 days. Calendar days. If those 10 days pass, your license is gone. It's suspended. What's that mean, your license is gone? What do you have to do within those 10 days, Bob? You have to submit a request to the Department of Motor Vehicles Driver Safety Office asking for a hearing because they're taking away your license. They're taking away your privilege to drive. It's not a right. It's a privilege. It's a hearing to pretty much contend the fact that you should not have been arrested in the first place. Am I right? You're right. Yeah, I'm right. Shouldn't have been arrested. It wasn't rhetorical. Nope. You have 10 days in order to request an admin per se hearing with a DMV. And it's usually best done through an attorney. Uh, you, listen, use an attorney on these. Attorneys know the ins and outs of these DMV hearings. I can't tell you how many I've done. I've done dozens and dozens. And unfortunately, public defenders can't do that because by the time you're arraigned, it's already been way more than 10 days since the initial event of you being arrested. And it's not a criminal right that you have. It's just a privilege that's being suspended due to a criminal act. So the public defender's not going to get involved anyhow, even if it is within the 10 days. No, they, they won't. It's not part of their MOU. Now, how would you find an attorney for a DUI? We spoke about this a little bit last time, but the best way, I think, is to hop online, type in DUI, your area. Refer to attorney. episode one of the podcast, but usually, if you're in the Bay Area, contact either Bob Moreland or George Derrick. We'll cut you a break, so long as you say you heard us from our podcast. Right, would we? I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. It better have been a great podcast. Write a review on iTunes, then we'll talk. A good one. Good (laughs) review. So, when you're arrested for a DUI and you come home, you'll notice that your mailbox is completely full. Oh my gosh. It's going to be full of something called jail mail. What's that? What is that, Bob? Jail mail. Jail mail. Oh. Jail mail. I was jo- Let's keep saying I was, jo- I was joking. Times. I wanted to tell you to say it, and then I was going to explain it. Go. Well, jail mail is uh, basically attorneys work off of lists of people that were arrested for certain offenses. It's public knowledge. DUI happens to be one of those lists that are highly sought after by attorneys because attorneys like DUI clients. They're everyday people caught up in bad situations, and... Attorneys like handling DUIs. There's a ton of them that happen, thousands in California every year. So jail mail is often used by attorneys to solicit you. And you're going to be inundated with, um, with just lawyers wanting you to hire them. They're going to some some lawyers actually send you magazines. Uh, in in all kind, yeah, lawyers send you all kinds of different things. magazines, letters, offers. And I, I'm a little leery of jail mail, and I mean, refer to the first podcast. I, I like actually talking to a lawyer, and if I was a defendant, which I'm not, but if I if I was arrested for DUI, I would definitely want to sit down and talk to a lawyer face-to-face, or at least get them over the phone. Personally, I feel it's, a, it's slightly an intrusion upon my privacy when you're looking up the jail records and sending me mail based on that. I want to be able to contact you. 
I don't right. want you to contact me if, yeah. if I'm in the position of somebody looking for an attorney. But who knows? Maybe it's easier for you. You get something called right away. I know, Bob. And take care of it. Yeah. So after you're out of jail, you found an attorney, the first step of the proceedings is the arraignment. Yes, the arraignment is basically you go to court and the judge or commissioner tells you what you're being charged with. Typically, at that court date, especially if it's a misdemeanor, you will enter a plea. Please let it be not guilty. And then you continue it to another court date. You also have to waive time. We're not really going to get into that right now, but usually it's a not guilty plea. Continue it for something called a pretrial hearing. Well, a, a pretrial is where the actual meat and potatoes of the case. That's going to happen. Some peas. Some gravy, some peas, some carrots, some stew. Some Iced tea? No, no, no iced tea. There's no iced tea at the pretrial. Nope. You know why? Because there's no drinks. You don't bring iced tea into court. Don't Get you, that out of here. Don't you dare do that. But well, <laughs> you know, I really like a harsh. I like nest tea. Nest tea's good. But I can't stand, cannot stand unsweetened tea. Yeah. I think it tastes You're a little awful. rough guy. You need to be sweetened up. You know what I really like. I'm rough. Uh, I really, really like McDonald's sweet tea. Have you ever had that? I have. It's good. I'd that's bring. That's I would. Right. I would bring that into court. I enjoy actual sweet tea from the south and, and fried pickles and okra and all kinds of. I hate fried stuff. pickles, but the other stuff I like. So at the pretrial, that's where you get to negotiate with the district attorney. You wouldn't do that. Your attorney would negotiate on your behalf. You can go ahead and sit in the audience and wait. Hurry the up and wait. Is going to negotiate to try to get you the minimum punishment possible. There are all kinds of different punishments that could happen with a DUI. At another we're, podcast, yeah, we're another gonna get into time, that. We'll get that into it gets so complicated. The potential punishments that can occur in a DUI, but it's so fact specific that I don't want to. We're not going to confuse you. going to happen, but it could be jail time class. Make it simple. Like get a lawyer. Then you're looking at a couple of things. If it's tough for you to fight the case, if you don't have great facts, then you may want to consider settling or plea bargaining the case, and that's what you do at the pretrial stage, obviously. Um, as as we discussed, you you come up with a plea bargain so you can enter no, a plea of no contest. You know, I never. You know, it's funny. I never tell my clients to bargain. For some reason, that that upset one of my clients early on. They say, this ain't no bargain. I said okay. So now I, I just say plea offer. What's the offer? I know it's like totally politically correct or anything, but it's funny how offended people can get. Even though, you know, I had a client once. She was so drunk she actually hit a police car, and injured a police officer, and then she didn't think she hit any car, and the police officer had to walk out of his car. Back was hurt, but he walked out of his car and arrested her as she was driving four miles an hour down the street, and she was the one that threw up on his shoes. Hmm. Point, point two nine blood alcohol. Nice. It's pretty we, high. We're going to get into the blood alcohol probably in a different podcast. It's way too much to talk about now, but that's over the legal limit. I'll tell you that. If you've got good facts... And you've got a case that you can win, such as if the officer never saw you drove and you didn't ever tell him you were driving, or it's if you're potentially a trial. Or if your blood alcohol is really low. If it's a .08 or .07, if it's right there on the border, you may want to just push the case to trial and roll the dice and see what happens. However, as I said, you're rolling the dice. Yeah. And a DUI does carry with it jail time if well, it's you mandatory. It's there, any DUI is a mandatory jail time. However, you could be looking at even more jail time if you were to go to trial and fight it, which is why 
sometimes the plea offer process or bargaining process, however you want to characterize it, could be a, a good situation for you to, to be in. That way you know exactly what the punishment is. You don't waste your time at trial. You don't make the judge upset, the DA upset, the clerk upset. I, I Everyone like, upset for going to trial. I like making DAs upset. It's never a good idea to make a judge upset. No. I, I enjoy the occasional fight with the district attorney. Those yeah. are always fun times. You know what? I'm trying to think. I don't think I've ever make, made a judge upset. Oh, I would never do such a thing. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. Does all love me. Yeah, yeah, I have. Oh, yeah. It happens he from was, time to time. He was right to be upset. And then if you go to trial and lose, it, that's not the end. You still have appellate rights, which yeah, you, we'll, we'll discuss a little more. You can appeal it, the case. It, it's pretty much done at that stage. You, you don't have too many arguments at the appellate stage. Although you do have certain rights that you can bring up, and such as if there was prosecutorial misconduct, things of that sort, you may want to appeal those issues. I I remember, I know we're like getting towards the end, but the first DUI trial I ever had, I tell my client, I say, you know, every time he went to court for a pretrial hearing, he wore uh, Budweiser shirts. Shirts that said Budweiser on them. Oh, good idea. Good idea. And I told him, I said, listen. We're going to trial next week, or I don't know when. Like, at least go with Miller. That's the champagne of beers. I yeah. Well, that was another conversation I had with him beforehand. I said, you know, Miller's better. I prefer Heineken. So does James <laughs> Bond. But I say, listen, don't wear that Budweiser T-shirt to court. You've been wearing alcohol-related shirts to court. Don't do it. So he's so that's great. He shows up to court in a short sleeve dress shirt. Really nice. But lo and behold, on his forearms, there were Budweiser bottles tattooed on his arm. So you had a DUI client that has Budweiser tattooed on his arms? On his forearms, yeah. They were completely uncovered. And uh, I lost that jury trial. One of my friends likes to say, we got second place. So I got second place of that jury trial. And his forearms didn't really help. Neither did his being, you know, four times the the legal limit as well. But figure... Appearance actually does mean quite a bit in a DUI trial. You, you need to show up on time, wear appro- dr- appropriate attire. Oh, don't show up drunk as well? Don't show up smelling like alcohol? Or any types of drugs or, or any of that. You, you show up on your best behavior. Usually court's 9 in the morning, so for most people it's not too difficult to show up without alcohol or drugs in your system. However, I have had clients from time to time that have had an extreme difficult time showing up to court sober, uh, especially for third or fourth offense DUIs. Once you start getting to that point, uh, jail's really not going to help you anymore. It, you need help in other arenas, but that's neither here nor there. So that's that's about it. That's what occurs in a DUI case from start to finish. You're looking at the first step is drinking or doing drugs, and then you're drive at some point the officer sees you driving or somebody calls 911 after they see a sign that says report drunk drivers call 911 so they call or at you out police find you somewhere they pull you over they start an initial investigation they determine whether or not they can pull you out of the car they do they perform field sobriety tests you're arrested you're booked you're then released find an attorney right leery of jail mail Request a DMV hearing within it's your, 10 days. It's your right not to submit to field sobriety tests, but you must submit to chemical tests. What are your rights? What are your rights? 
Uh, hey, Bob, what's... Why doesn't a snake bite an attorney? Why would a snake bite an attorney? Doesn't want to get that blood. I was going to say professional courtesy. See you next week.